God Hears Her. God Hears Her. God Hears Her is brought to you. Is brought to you. By our Daily Bread Ministries. By our Daily Bread Ministries. Visit GodHearsHer.org. Visit GodHearsHer.org. Or find us on social for more information. And I loved God, but I didn't really know Him. And so I came to know Him through Young Life when I was a teenager. And I gave my life to Him. And and I very quickly thought, now I've got the answer. Yeah. Now I've got Jesus, and I kind of determined, you know, I'm going to do it different than my mom and dad did. I'm going to raise a perfectly intact second family when I get there. You know, I'm going to do it right. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her. Welcome to God Hears Her. I'm Elisa Morgan. And I'm Erin Eddy. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever pictured the perfect family? Maybe you were a little girl with dolls in a dollhouse, or you started dating your first boyfriend, and you thought he was perfect. Or maybe you daydreamed about holding your first child and then watching that child grow up into the perfect little adult human. My guest today had dreams too. Her dreams weren't shaped out of a picture-perfect childhood but from a childhood of difficulty. And she was determined for things to be different for her marriage and for her kids. She would work hard to create the perfect family. But these dreams, like all dreams, didn't quite come true in the way she expected. I'm talking about my friend, Elisa Morgan, who actually has written a book called The Beauty of Broken. Elisa, tell me, where did you grow up? What was your upbringing like? I'm the second born of a three-child family, so I have an older sister and a younger brother. My parents were only married nine years. When I was about five, they got divorced. Mm -hmm. And I remember my dad pulling me into his home office. He was a corporate exec. And uh, just pulled me up onto his lap, and I thought it was awesome. I love daddy time. And he turned me towards him, and he said, I've decided I don't love your mother anymore, Mm. and we're going to get a divorce. And, you know, kids don't understand that. And it's not always the parents' problems. I mean, I know things happen, but I took that as my fault. I thought if I had been a better little girl in some way, he would have stayed. So I felt like kind of my family fell and broke. And so my mom and brother and sister, we moved across the United States to the California coast. We were on the East Coast then. And um, my mom was a single mom in the 60s. Not cool and really difficult financially. And she had a full-time job in San Francisco and then drove back and forth to the suburbs. And it was when I was probably entering middle school after we finally moved to Houston that I realized my job was to take care of my mom. Mm. Her alarm would go off in the morning and I'd pull my covers back and I would go and get her a breakfast of chocolate chip cookies and Coca-Cola and take it to her and turn off her alarm. And looking back on that, that is so weird. But now I understand it. I understood it as a young adult. Mm -hmm. She struggled with alcohol and she couldn't get herself up. So I am a super vigilant, tenacious performer person, achiever person. And I figured out really early I needed to take charge of life in order to be safe. I remember vacuuming our gold pile carpet into neat rows and Mm -hmm. emptying her ashtrays and ajaxing them and trying to get the cat poop off the knotty pine floors in our home. I just, it was my job. It was my survival to pull out of that. 
So when I came to know God, and that's another journey, she always dropped us off at church when we were little, and she'd have a couple hours of free (laughs) childcare. And I loved God, but I didn't really know him. Mm. And so I came to know him through Young Life when I was a teenager, and I gave my life to him. And and I very quickly thought, now I've got the answer. Yeah. Now I've got Jesus. Yeah. And I kind of determined, you know, I'm going to do it different Mm. than my mom and dad did. I'm going to raise a perfectly intact second family when I get there. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it right. Yeah. Did that happen? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, not not exactly. No. So tell me about like college, Elisa. College, Elisa. And then into Mm. uh, dating Mm -hmm. to marriage, Elisa. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've shared in other programs that I dated one guy all through high school and college. Mm. And he was on the road to become a medical doctor. And so, you know, after you kind of are in college and you're dating someone like that, you kind of think, well, this is my future. I'm going to be a doctor's wife. I didn't really know what I'd do, but he loved God. I loved God. It was glory. You know, it was great. Yeah. But the last semester of college, we broke up. We just were really clear that God didn't want us to get married. Yeah. And I actually ended up moving to Denver from Houston and enrolling in Denver Seminary. How did moving play a part with your relationship with your mom mm-hmm. to that point? Yeah. Like feeling like you were the caretaker? Yeah. Was it, it was, I honestly couldn't get away fast enough. It was relief. It was a huge relief. Or, okay. And to finish her story or to take it on through, my mom never really recovered from her disease of alcoholism. She had good years and bad years. But when I was in my I guess, late 20s, I ended up starting into counseling in in those years and really Mm -hmm. needing help and understanding I hadn't known how to grow up very well. I hadn't had a parent who cared for me. I I mean, I grew up when I was two or whatever, and I became the little parent. So I needed to do some work on reconstructing my childhood and understanding. And I also needed to separate from being responsible for my mother because our roles were upside down. Yeah. And unfortunately, but in God's timing, my mom died before I was able to finish my work and come back more full circle. Um, Now, she's been dead for 30 years, and I would long for a time to talk to her and say, I know you did the best you could, and to be able to um, be with her in a more healed situation. But this is something else that happens as I've continued to go to counseling over the years and and do the grief processing. I remember after her memorial service and I had liquidated with my brother and sister her estate and it all happened in 10 days and it's like poof, you know. And it hit me so heavy that that chapter was closed, that that relationship was over, that I would never have another conversation. And I was driving down the road, and I remember the sense of looking up through the dashboard, and I had this sense from God, now she sees you, now she loves you. And I did feel a closure there, that we're both broken, damaged people, you know, and we did the best in that relationship. But I have found healing, even though she has passed on, which is an encouragement, I hope, for many listening who have that kind of a circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. So, goodness, that's amazing that you've got to experience that almost like, was it audible or was it or just an impression that God placed on you that yeah. she sees you and loves you? It really you? is a phrase Yeah, I could hear in my head. Yeah, She sees you and she loves you now. She's able to love you now because she's whole. And I do believe she was with Jesus. She had a relationship with him. God made that clear in her deathbed as she really reached out to him on her deathbed to, to know him. 
So how old were you when that happened? I was 34. 34. So yeah. you were married by that point. Right? I was married. So I'll go backwards, though, with your breakup to then meeting a guy. Mm -hmm. Where in that did you start learning more about your identity and how God saw you? Seminary was helpful in that they made us go to counseling, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good idea. You're, you're like going to be in ministry. You better figure stuff out. You're a professional therapy goer. I am. I don't even know if that's a title. I but have like a be. whole endowment in Is my that name. Is your email signature? <laughs> <laughs> professional therapy goer. I'm a big believer in it. You know, life is messy. Yeah. And we don't come out of it without being wounded and damaged and hurting others, too. So I'm a big yeah. believer in it. God's really provided some great grace for me. It was an interesting time in seminary. Back in the day, I think I was one of six women wow. in the Master's of Divinity program. <laughs> and I out of think how many people? Out of about maybe 400 or so. Wow. Yeah, it was not the popular thing to do. Plus, you got to remember, I went to church. It wasn't like a big Bible church. So mm. I didn't know anything about yeah. the Bible. I didn't know what the word hermeneutics or homiletics or blah, blah. And if you don't know whoever's listening, don't worry. I didn't either. I didn't know <laughs> the books of the Bible in order. I didn't know anything. Yeah. And so I came up, this little girl from Texas, to go to seminary. And I was just, blah, 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 blah. you know, everything was new for me. I dated like a lot of the guys because I was one of six girls, you know, they yeah. didn't have any to choose from either. And <laughs> everybody else was married, you know, and nobody was a fit. And I just didn't want to do that anymore. And I was starting my second year of seminary, I was making my bed. And I just, again, this is a really weird phrase went through my head and I sensed it was from God. It was separate thyself unto me. And I was like, that is bizarre. <laughs> but in that same moment, I also just had this kind of image flash through my brain of a horse that had blinders on it, like mm -hmm. in old Victorian England. And I thought, I don't know what that means. I lived with a, a married couple who were very strong believers. He was also in seminary, and I talked to them about it. They were kind of mentors to me then. And we all just decided, we think God wants me to take a break from dating. Mm. And I did. And I didn't go out with anybody. And it was late into that semester, I was running into class and I had an exam and I plopped down in the only open seat in that classroom. I think it was Old Testament class, which is why I'm so terrible at Old Testament. Um, I plopped <laughs> down and <laughs> this, this guy sitting next to me starts talking to me and I'm so annoyed because I've got a test. And he keeps interrupting me. And I, I just kept answering him in one word <laughs> questions, never looking at him. And finally, I turned my head and looked at him and I went, La, 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 la. <laughs> you know, it was like, it was like God had taken the reins on my head and turned my head with my blinders on every side until all I could see yeah. was the face of Evan Morgan. Mm. And then? Then we were engaged about two and a half months later and married about nine months later. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. And he's been just the right person for me. It hasn't been all, la, la, la. We've had bumps. We've had messy sure. moments. But it's been great. He is a stability to my unpredictability. He, we both get the drive and the passion for ministry. Um, we're just good together. You're on the same page and the same yep. team. So how long have y'all been married? 40 years. 40 years. Eek! That's amazing. That's a long time. When when is the anniversary? I'm just I'm just June fifteenth. Any kinds of gift cards can be sent to our <laughs> daily bread ministry. <laughs> so then, at that point, mm -hmm. you know you're you had said earlier like you're going to make a perfect family. Mm -hmm. You're going to make a perfect family, mm -hmm. and be on that road. So tell me, mm -hmm. 
the bells, heaven's gates opened <laughs> up. You heard bells and you saw him. Now the perfect family is made. Da, da, da. Well, we, da, da, we, we, da, got, da, we got da, married, da. but yeah. Oh yeah, you got married and then. <laughs> and then, however, <laughs> let, let me back up. Okay. Our very first, it wasn't even a date. We always say, well, that wasn't really a date. I was going into the library. I was hungry and the, my little tummy was having little butterflies. And I thought, oh, I'm going to see if. Evan Morgan is in there. And I went into the library and there he was. And I went, okay, that's a sign. You know. <laughs> so I said, do you want to go to Burger King and get a Whopper? And he said, yes. So we drove to Burger King and ordered a Whopper and we're sitting there over Whoppers. And he tells me that he's a cancer survivor and he won't be able to have children. This is our first wow. true conversation. And I have got a wow. burger hanging out of my mouth. And Evan is telling me that if he has children, they'll need to be adopted. Wow. And my heart went out to him. And I mean, it was real quick that I realized it wasn't just Evan who would need to have children through adoption, that I might need to have children through adoption if I married him. When we come back, we will find out what God did in your life. And if he provided kids for you through adoption or led you in a different direction. That's coming up right here on God Hears Her. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the show today, please take a moment to write a quick review and rate us on iTunes and on whatever podcast platform you listen. Reviews and ratings help us reach more people. So if you could take a moment to write a quick review and rate us, that would be super helpful in helping us to reach more women with a message that God hears her. Welcome back to God Hears Her. I'm Elisa Morgan. And I'm Erin Eddy. And in just a moment, we will hear the rest of Elisa's story, a story of beauty and brokenness, which she wrote a book about. We will have a link in the show notes. It's a story on how God can not only heal us, but use our brokenness as a witness of how He can heal others. So if you're listening today and thinking to yourself, I am far from perfect and my life is not working out the way I expected, or maybe you're thinking it is so much harder than I thought it would be, keep listening. This conversation is for you. Before we jump back into our conversation, We want to let you know that if you miss anything in today's show, check out today's talking points included in the show notes. The show notes also include a link to a free resource. It's an article that fits well with today's topic. It's titled Scar Stories, where I write about how Jesus' brokenness, his scars, point us to the love of God, just like our scars can too. Again, the link to this article is in the show notes, which can be found in the podcast description. Or visit GodHearsHer.org for all of this and more. That's GodHearsHer.org. Okay, Elisa, let's jump back into your story as you begin to describe waiting to adopt your first baby. This is God Hears Her. But as we waited almost five years for our first child, both babies, first one at... uh, she was three weeks old, and then two years later, two and a half years later, our son at 13 days old. You know, I really wow. thought I could make up for any wound that they had ever experienced. That they was, were so young. They were so young, and, right, and exactly. I was going to be so much better, and mm. our marriage was going to be so whole, and we weren't going to be all messed up like my poor little parents were, you know? Mm. And 
you know, God warned me before we got our daughter and before she was placed in our arms, I was, I don't know, wallpapering our bedroom or something for the baby. And I had this again since, and this is how God nudges me. Elisa, before a baby's ever placed in your arms, he or she's going to experience the greatest wound of their life. Mm. I heard it. I journaled it. I thought I understood it, but I didn't truly. So I was a bit humbled and a little bit scared, but still pretty yeah. confident that I could, I could raise a perfect family. Just mm-hmm. me, just trying hard. Yeah. Did Evan feel that way too? Yeah. Yeah. Evan came from a, a really great Christian family. Yeah. Um, really strong believers and really hadn't had many bumps in their family. And they yeah. were great people, lovely people. So. So you adopted two little ones. Mm-hmm. One after the other. One and I had been other. working as a dean of women at a Bible college before okay. they came. It was an amazing time of finding out, you know, how do I help kids in college come to understand God and other things. I taught psychology. I taught counseling. I taught women in ministry. It was a very specific Bible college where women were not allowed to teach men. Wow. And I thought it was ironic that they would invite me to share (laughs) in chapel. And I was like, uh, how is that better than using the word? But okay, <laughs> here's my idea. Sure. You know, I shared my idea. But you know, it's, it was interesting. It was a long time ago, and we all learned a lot. And it was great to have that opportunity to serve in that capacity. But I resigned in order to wait for children. Yeah. And during those days, I actually had a radio program that Haddon Robinson had asked me to do for Denver Seminary. And for actually a long time, about six years, I was the voice of Denver Seminary in a radio program called Considerations. Oh, wow. And Haddon Robinson mentored me in communication and speech during that time. And then we got our babies and I stayed home for three to five years. And then came a phone call one day. Yeah. Tell me, what was that phone call? That was um, from... One of the board members at an organization called MOPS International, Mothers of Preschoolers. They were a grassroots-led organization that started in 1973, and this was 1989. And they were looking to formalize the ministry, which was now international, by hiring a first president. And so they were looking for people who might be a fit and invited me to apply. How did they get your name? How did they, how did they get their phone number? How did they get your from phone From something. Okay. It was Denver-based then, the office, and somebody knew me from something. Were you praying for doors to open? Or yeah. like, did it just like... It came, just came out up? of the blue. Okay. I was actually praying because the seminary, Denver Seminary, had decided to stop the radio program. And so I was praying as getting ready to call another radio ministry to see if they wanted to pick it up. And the phone rang. And it was this board member from Mops. Wow. And because of that, I went, what? Yeah. Because I had never been pregnant. I didn't come from a good mother. I didn't really know how to be a mom. Hello, do you know right. that God gives babies to people every time we've never been parents before? I don't know what he's thinking. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just said, but because you're calling here, I will pray about this. Did you feel qualified? No. No. <laughs> no, I'd never led that kind of thing. And I didn't yeah. know anything about nonprofits. I was a speaker and a writer and a radio host, but I doubled up my therapy sessions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Elisa professional therapy goer. And, <laughs> and you know, the Lord really nudged me forward a bit at a time. He used scripture. I used my therapist. I was in the grocery store one day and he just nudged me to look around mm-hmm. at all the other moms. I sensed him saying, Elisa, you don't have to be perfect just minister from a place of vulnerability. Just be Mm. honest about what it's like to be a young mother. It's like he said this phrase, put your deficits into my hands Mm. and I'll make them your offering. 
and he did. And I served there for 20 years as the president of Mops, and it grew from 300 groups to 4,000 groups, and, wow. and I was blown away. It almost ate me alive, but it's still going. I'm so grateful for God's grace in it. Wow. How have you balanced being a busy mm. mom mm-hmm. and yeah. healing yeah. and also being present for your kids? Yeah, you know, and it's it's been a lot of years now. So I'm looking back at it from a, I'm on a different island of life now looking back at it. So it, yeah. it, it can be in perspective. You can't always see that when you're in the midst of it. And I understand that. Evan and I had a great little routine going in our early years. When I said yes, and we said it together to this position of leadership, Evan was the VP of business mm. at Denver Seminary. So he mm. was Haddon Robinson's right arm and he had a very demanding job. And so I had been at home focused, working from home. Wow. So we we did kind of a tag team where I would leave the house at about six in the morning, sometimes five in the morning oh, wow. and go to work. And then I would be done by two-ish. Yeah. And he would be responsible to get the kids sorted to school in the morning and I'd be responsible for them after school in the mm-hmm. afternoon. And it worked really well. I mean, there were times when I would travel on the weekends and the pastor would always go, oh, Elisa's speaking this weekend because yeah. our daughter would have her bow like sideways in her <laughs> hair or something. And I was like, I got the bow in, you know. <laughs> anyway, it, so, you know, it was it was kind of a neat mutual, beautiful dance that we did. It wasn't always tidy and easy, but we, we made it work. And then we decide to do no more mops. No, actually, a couple happened? of things happened before we decided not to do any more mops. Okay, so tell me about that. What so happened? about 15 years, we're scooting along just like we described with this tag team. And, and Evan had since transitioned himself into our Daily Bread University, mm. our Daily Bread senior leadership. So he was traveling to Grand Rapids for his responsibilities at the ministry. And I was still leading mops. And um, we were very, very invested. Our kids were both swimmers and real involved in high school things. Well, here's what happened I had a dream one night and in my dream I was walking through a home that was under construction Mm. scaffolding kind of you know just the two by fours Jesus was my tour guide he had a little hard hat on and he stops at these two adjacent rooms in my dream and he goes Elisa this room is for your daughter and this room next to it is for her baby Mm. I wake up and I'm like what I mean that is a freaky dream to have yeah and A couple of nights later, the dream repeated itself. I'm not kidding. Wow. Home under construction, Jesus in a hard hat. This room is for your daughter. This room is for her baby. Okay, I'm president of Mops International. About a week later, I'm sitting in a meeting around a table, and we're discussing the creation of a spinoff called Teen Mops. And I sensed God in the Holy Spirit leaning down in my ear and saying, Elisa, you're going to know more about this topic than anybody in this room. I am like, what? And so I went home and I thought I better ask my then 16-year-old daughter, who had just returned from a short-term mission trip in Kenya, serving HIV, AIDS, orphans. My state-ranked swimming daughter, my beautiful five-foot-seven daughter, is there any reason you could be pregnant? My daughter, who was so involved in her youth group and she nods and i who've never been pregnant before get to go to the grocery store and get an at-home pregnancy test and bring it home and wait outside the bathroom while my daughter pees on a stick to find out she's pregnant Mm -hmm. and my precious son a couple years younger began to struggle as well and veer his little life off of the main road into some ditches of struggle, substance abuse, and some legal things. 
and I felt like my second family fell and broke. Mm. While this is all happening, I'm president mm. of MOPS International. And it was reeling for Evan, too. We just were stunned. You know, we just were blown away. Now, what did we do as a result of yeah, it? Yeah, what did you do We as rallied. A yeah. We rallied. You had done such a beautiful dance in the beginning, yeah. right, working with... And then this happened. Well, to and be honest, a few things happen. And to be honest, right? in that rallying, I right. kind of pushed him out. I kind of thought, well, I'm the one from all the mess. He hasn't. He's still innocent. He hasn't seen all this. I think I was trying to protect him some. I just became admiral of everything and mm. kind of took over. I took all the doctor's appointments with her, and blah, blah, you know, yeah. and he watched golf because yeah. that's where I pushed him. And it was a very humbling process. It ended up, um, she had an emergency C-section oh, wow. when the baby was 27 weeks in utero. She mm -hmm. had made the decision to relinquish him to a couple. And that adoption did not work out because he was born differently than they expected. And we waited, we parented him in a NICU for five months while we waited for God to bring forth another couple, which he did in great faithfulness. And our precious firstborn grandson is now nearly 20 years old, and it was an open adoption, and it's been a painful but beautiful, beautiful reality. Wow. But it was a lot. How did you see God in all of that, even after, like, when you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask that question, Aaron. <laughs> oh, it's just a lot of journaling, right. a lot I was, of cleaning. How did you not go from the opposite of being angry, like not being angry at God because your family, from what you came from to what you thought it would be, and mm -hmm. then it ends up, it's like, this is not the picture that I thought. Mm -hmm. God, why wouldn't you give me the picture that I thought? Yeah. So there are a couple of things, Erin, that are really important. One is we all have wounds, yeah. and they're not always directly attributed to direct circumstances. My mm -hmm. children came to me with wounds. I'm sure I have wounded them as well. Right. I received wounds from my parents and I wounded myself in them as well. You know, yeah. life is not this neat formulaic box yes. that once you know Jesus, it all gets tied up with a bow. So that's one thing really strong. Another thing is that I remember begging God, if I quit, would Satan leave my kids alone? Mm. And God was pretty clear, no. This is their journey, and you were on yours. And I would put myself, my body over the potholes that I knew I didn't want them to go down, and they'd pick up my body and throw it aside and dive down. Yeah. That's just human nature. It's a beautiful analogy. Figure though. it out. Yeah. So there's that. I think another reality is we're not done. Yeah. God's not done with me now. He wasn't done with me 35 years ago when I received my daughter. He's not done with me. If we were done, we would be dead. He yeah. continues to shape us. But the biggest lesson for me in, in the breakage, the true breakage, the, the breakage that caused beauty is I discovered in this process while my daughter's pregnant that I was proud. And God showed me, sweet pea, you're just proud. You're just as sinful as anybody else. And he actually used the story of Luke 7 of the woman anointing Jesus' feet where he was at the home of Simon the Pharisee. And she's anointing Jesus' feet, and she's washing his feet with her hair, and Simon is all incensed. Do you know what kind of woman this is? And he looks at Simon, and he says, the one who has been forgiven the most is the one who is able to love the most. And I thought, oh my gosh, I am in such denial of my sin that I can never be forgiven, and I'm never going to be able to be loved. Wow. 
And I had to embrace my sin of pride in order to be forgiven, in order to access the love that I really needed. And God's just shown me in the years since, and it's been a lot of years now, that brokenness is nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah. It's nothing to hide. We all come into church, you know, all dressed up and looking great and faking it and singing our hymns and going out and get in the car and screaming at yeah. each other again. And God's people are broken people, and we need to say so. And we need to reveal that breakage in such a way that we show how God heals us. Because honestly, he can use us far more after we've been broken and put our breakage into his hands than before. You know, those things that we think disqualify us from ministry, from being of use in this kingdom on this planet, when we put them in Jesus' hands, can actually further qualify us and we become more useful. And that's what I've seen him do. So where are your kids today? Mm, they're marvelous human beings. They really are. Mm. Uh, my daughter and her husband have been married a really long time now. We have uh, two grandsons, beautiful, beautiful children. One is um, in his teens. The other one's just a little toddler, so it's kind of fun. Um, my son is married as well. He's been married for a good while, too, to a beautiful woman. You know, they're making their way. I, I like to say, you know, if you put a toothpick into our family and pulled it out, mm -hmm. you know, like you test muffins yep. from the oven, you yep. see it's, it's a little gooey in the middle. The best. I like yeah. that with my brownies, though. Isn't that great? So, yeah. <laughs> so we maybe put it back in a little yeah. bit longer. But, you know, it, it's a relief to know God never made us to be a perfect family. He made us to be his family. He made us to be a beautiful demonstration of his love, of his grace in our messiness, in our brokenness, every one of us broken. And there's a great freedom in understanding that, embracing that. And Evan and me, well, we still kind of helicopter parent from time to time. We get too involved and forget we're grandparents, not parents to our grandchildren. And bless their hearts, they have another set of parents if we don't watch ourselves. And But we keep on. Evan continues to serve with our Daily Bread University. I continue to serve with our Daily Bread. And I'm President Emerita, which means old woman, for mops, which I love. <laughs> but, you know, we're just still growing and going and learning and being used despite our cracks. I'm serious when I say I just love that analogy of the brownies because I love gooey brownies and we're all gooey inside, aren't we? Yeah, some a little more than yeah. others, but <laughs> yeah, we are. And God isn't finished with us yet. Well, that's a good thing because our undoneness continues to point us to our need for Him. And like we just talked about, our undoneness, when it's shared, it actually can point others to Him as well. Mm. Thank you for letting us pry into your life a little bit today, Elisa. I learned a lot about you. I know our listeners did too. For those listening, don't forget, if you missed anything, the show notes are available and can be found in the podcast description. There you will find the talking points of today's episode and some helpful links. We have a link to an article written by Elisa about the scars that Christ bore and how Jesus' scars point us to a God who loves us and heals us. Also, Elisa's book, The Beauty of Broken. And of course, if you want more information about what's coming up on season one of God Hears Her, that information is available on our website, godhearsher.org. That's godhearsher.org. Thanks so much for joining us today. And don't forget, God sees you. He hears you. He loves you because you are his.
Hey guys, before we go, I just want to say a quick thank you to some of the people who helped make this podcast happen. Anne, Brian, Curtis, Nicole, you guys rock. Thank you so much.